If you particularly dig this content, then please support us at patreon.com slash solidarity house because your support makes it possible for us to deliver this content to everybody for free. It's like this sounded like a good idea, but <laughs> I it didn't really I didn't really process the idea. It was very it was much more of a kind of just physical impulse. Like Elroy Jetson when he wanted that giant ice cream sundae for breakfast and then immediately regretted it. I think it all comes back to the Jetsons or the Flintstones, really. Right. Uh, um, no, I was taking my kid to school and, you know, we had we had done on the weekends. We we kind of wander around small town Wyoming uh, getting snacks, basically. And so I had this maybe a third of a of a uh, uh, bag of cheese popcorn left. Um, and uh, I, uh, I was, you know, I, I was tired, I was hungry, I was kind of cranky, I hadn't had coffee. Um, and I just, I just went for it. I, I, I grabbed it. I'm, I'm ashamed, really. <laughs> uh, well, I'm so sorry you regret it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is your Solidarity House uh, morning live stream feed back again. We were gone for a while. Now we're back. Uh, lots of weird stuff happening here as well. The weather is not so good. And we uh, uh, but on the good side, which you can see on our Facebook page, uh, as well as our Twitter page, you can see the bus that arrived yesterday. We have some folks moving in who are also turning this huge ass bus into a house over time. And we're going to be bringing that to you. We're going to be segmenting that on the podcast of the step-by-step -step turning the bus into the house uh, process. It's very exciting. Uh, Antifa is actually going to be working in close uh, quarters with uh, that, um, uh, watching that project happen. Um, and we're looking, we're, we're really looking forward to bringing you that because we do have a, a commie home improvement component of the, uh, of the show. We're, we're all about um, this old commune, as it's called. Uh, and so we're, we're looking forward to, to that and many other projects here. But right now we've got Brianna Rose Lee back with us. The last time you were here, you were t talking to us about uh, some local and national um, uh, Line 3 pipeline activism. Um, before we go into the Minneapolis stuff, how is that Line 3 stuff going? I mean, it's kind of at the same spot it was. Um, unfortunately, um, it has been proceeding. We are still doing protests against it. Um, some of the environmental studies are, they're still tied up in the courts, but one has come back actually, you know, proving what we knew that it was detrimental, but there hasn't been any um, good news anyway about them stopping it. Um, but we are continuing the protests and Hopefully that goes somewhere. I'm really honestly just counting on uh, President Biden to step in on this one. Um, and I hope that we can make enough noise nationally about it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty unfortunate, but it actually does tie into what we're talking about today with police brutality. So. It, ab it absolutely does. And I know that it does. And I know that it, that has been the case with pipeline protests um, uh, since time immemorial. The cops just love uh, brutalizing uh, pipeline protesters. They do. And I, as a component of racism that I don't think it's spoken about enough, um, you know, the, the activists that you end up seeing getting arrested are generally the white activists and the white celebrity activists that get, you know, arrested famously at a protest, which don't get me wrong, is important. And we need them to do that for visibility. But yeah, yeah. we don't see all the native protesters that are up there. And even in the like movements that we've seen lately, there's a lot of attention on police brutality in the cities, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening at these pipeline protests. And I don't understand why exactly that never gets shown in media. They'll just say like, oh, a protest is going on, maybe. And I, all I can think it has to do with money um, because the news corporations, of course, are gonna be owned by a lot of the same people that have the money in the pipelines. And so, maybe it's conflicts of interest that prevents them from sharing these stories. Maybe it's just racist. Maybe, maybe they're just bad journalists. I don't, I don't know, but well, it doesn't get, it doesn't get the attention it should. Well, we want to take a deeper dive into that uh, soon too. Um, and I also am acknowledging the kind of sick to my stomach feeling that I had when you uttered the phrase, we're just 
counting on President Biden at this point to uh, help to, you know, to uh, to do what he uh, is supposed to do on it. I mean, I get that we've been able to extract some concessions from this administration, but hearing that phrase is, is sort of reminds me of the feeling that you get when you're driving really close to the edge of a cliff and there's not a whole lot of like barricade or, or protection there, or when you see videos of, of you know, folks uh, driving these mountainous cliffs and you just get that, that kind of nauseated feeling in the pit of your stomach. Uh, that's, yeah. that's what I was hearing there. So I do hope uh, for the best for that movement and that it be uh, pushed forward as much as, as much as possible. Same. And I, it um, is hard to say, like, President Biden is our hope here because, I mean, while he has been better on the environmental things, we know he's not exactly an environmental president. Um, I mean, Greenpeace initially didn't give him a great mark when they were first marking these primary candidates. So we just, um, push, we just push as much as possible. Yep. <laughs> you know, my mom always used to say when it comes to hope, uh, you hold one hand up in the air with hope and you hold one hand under your rear end and you see which one fills up first. Exactly. And that's, that's pretty much how I feel about if you're waiting for Joe Biden to ride in on a, I mean, maybe Don Quixote on a Bronco, on a Bronco or something, but you're not going to get a, a knight in armor or anything. Something about Joe Biden. We're not. not <laughs> unfortunately our governor also is not going to do it so and unfortunately yeah. he's a democratic governor um which means he'll be running again so unless there is someone really great who primary challenges him we're unfortunately going to be stuck with that or the my pillow guy who seems to keep toying with wanting to run for governor of my state so uh, yeah it's it's bad honestly i have nothing good to report on line three right now other than I we're still fighting <laughs> I would really miss, I would be missing Jesse Ventura if my pillow guy got elected governor. Uh, that is a post-apocalyptic electoral hellscape. I can't even contemplate. Yeah. Wow. Uh, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's my options. And the current governor is filled with problems, as we will get into a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the my pillow guy possibly running, it is pretty terrifying. Um there's always a legitimate shot that Eric Prince will become governor of Wyoming at some point or another. He throws millions of dollars into other candidates and other political races here. Uh, I, you know, I think that he has, you know, uh, some kind of secret pad in Jackson or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, man, state politics, that's all I can say. Uh, but we're, but we wanted you to come on and actually talk about some some pretty serious stuff and and really some some POV you know some on the ground uh, perspectives on what's been going on in Minneapolis. As everyone knows, the whole country has been watching Minneapolis. Uh, we have watched uh, you know since the the murder of George Floyd. Uh, we have watched uh, the demonstrations that the epicenter of demonstrations that followed there in Minneapolis. Uh, we followed obviously the Chauvin trial. We followed the military occupation of the city uh, in anticipation of protests. Uh, we've uh, we We've been watching and it really, you know, in so many ways has become a, a center uh, of, of not just sensationalist politics, but also grassroots politics and, uh, and mutual aid and all kinds of cool stuff too. And so we wanted to bring you on to, to talk a little bit about that. I hope you don't mind. No, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this. And I'm really glad that you said militarized police because that's exactly what it is. We are living under military occupation. It is not okay. This is completely unconstitutional. Um, so let's let's take a deep breath. Um, so Minnesota abolished the death penalty in 1911. And I'm going to start by saying that because I think it's extremely important that we speak about the fact that our state does not allow state-sanctioned murder. Um, it's, it is supposed to be illegal. So going with that premise, why are cops allowed to murder? So cops are allowed to kill people in the line of duty and while they're at work without giving the person a trial. However, people who have gone to trial and have been actually found guilty of heinous crimes are not given the death penalty, which I agree with. I'm completely against the death penalty. I want it abolished nationally. But 
why are cops still allowed to kill if the if Minnesota abolished the death penalty? So I'm just going to leave that statement out there because obviously I know most of the viewers are probably going to agree with that. And there's nothing we can really do about it here. But I think it's important to bring that up. Um, as far as what's been going on in Minnesota, um, and we are kind of at the epicenter of a lot of grassroots activation, it isn't really a huge surprise. Minnesota actually is the High, has the highest turnout for voters in the country. And this has been several years running. So we're very proud of this. Um, and even as recently as like a week ago when they determined um, the new districting, um, we actually held on to all eight of our seats when we expected to lose one with this new census. Um, and it's because of our incredible census turnout. We had number one census turnout in the country percentage wise. And because of that, New York actually lost a seat and we held on to ours. It's not like we like took it from New York or anything, but just the way the numbers lined up. And I say that because we know how active New York is. So I think people are starting to realize that Minnesota is an extremely civically engaged state. And so it isn't a surprise to me at all that Minnesota would be starting this. And I want to quote Prince real quick because he was all like, you know, no one thought the revolution would start in Minneapolis except for Prince. Prince knew um, and he knew how engaged our citizens are and he knows how much we care about each other. And that's something that's been a huge, huge part of our uprisings in the yeah. last year. Yeah. Our community. It's incredible. Like the mutual aid, um, people have really come to each other's defense. P I mean, churches, church groups, just random people will just, you know, put up a PayPal and there's a uh, Facebook page and be like, you know, Hey, I'm going to co collect supplies. I'm looking for the following, drop them off at my house or send me some money and I'll go pick it up and make a drop. And people were doing this all summer. And I'm really happy to see it didn't stop. It's definitely gone down from where it was last summer, but it hasn't stopped. And we are continuing to help each other. And now with the recent murder of Dante, Wright, His has kind of ramped back up. Um, and Brooklyn Center really needed a lot of help and immediately people mobilized and it was like we already had these structures in place and the groups people already knew where to go. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of my city, but we shouldn't have to do this. Of course. Like... Uh, I just uh, want to say that uh, Prince is one of my favorite artists and I, I feel akin to, you know, Minneapolis and what you're going through. And as we're fighting uh, this battle, I believe one of the lyrics from one of his songs was let's go which is, of course, in a number of songs. But uh, when Prince sang it, it was, it was much more effective for me. And can I just point out real quick that his Super Bowl halftime show is probably one of the most awesome performances I have ever seen in the rain. That man could move. And uh, anyway, I, I, I digress. But yes, thank you for bringing Prince yeah. up. I love the man and I miss him. You did bring up Prince, uh, to, be, to be fair. But I, I want to... but. What I was thinking about in terms of that love was, to me, that was apparent when George Floyd was being murdered, when Derek Chauvin was murdering George Floyd, because, and, and the fact that, that the defense tried to use this as uh, some kind of uh, um, mitigating, you know, factor, the fact that, that they're, they're all surrounded by people begging them to stop doing what they're doing um that people are outraged at what they're seeing they know that if they actually tried to stop it they would probably they could potentially get killed themselves but they are doing everything they can and they're shouting and they're saying you know what are you doing i can't believe this and i'm just you know i'm thinking about that i'm thinking about obviously the fact that that none of you know had it not been filmed um, had there not been just a line of witnesses and everyone is outraged by this. And to me, that's love too. That's community love too. Uh, that, that's, that, that is this, th there was really an offensive on the part of the community to do something about it as it was happening. And is it that kind of spirit that inspired that outrage and all of that energy? You know, is that, is that kind of what you're talking about? It is. I mean, and you're exactly right. It didn't just start when George Floyd was murdered. This began way before that. Our community is close. It is tight knit. And that is something that I think is different. Like I grew up on the East Coast and now I live in the Midwest and it is a 
it is a noticeable change. Like you talk to your neighbors more here. It's not so much like the barely make eye contact with people. People really do stop and say hi to you. Um, and the small talk and like, you know, our car gets stuck in the snow and someone random stranger will jump out with a shovel and help shovel you out because we're all in it together. And there is that sense of community in Minnesota and specifically Minneapolis. And so when George Floyd was being murdered, it isn't surprising to me that there was a group of people holding the cops account, trying to hold the cops accountable right then and there. I mean, and you heard them all yelling, you heard them speaking and especially the firefighter who's like, let me help. I, I, I know how to help. Let me help. And they wouldn't let her. Um, you hear the older man, his, his testimony honestly made me break down. I watched, I was one of the crazy people who watched the entire trial. Um, I had a lot of friends who didn't want to watch it at all, which I think is very valid. Um, I must be a sadist or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I believe um, the correct term is masochist. 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 I was like, wait, that's the wrong word. That's a different episode. We'll, <laughs> that's a different one. We'll have a different um, episode on that. But I, I watched the whole thing because I wanted to make sure I saw every word of it. I wanted to know exactly what happened, um, what was said in that trial and what the defense was going to try to pull. Um, and I didn't want to hear it from anyone but that person. And what I ended up really finding was the older man's testimony is the one that really broke me because you could hear him just like really trying to speak to George. He was ignoring the cops and he was just focused on trying to get George to just calm down. And it just, it broke my heart. And I'm honestly going to cry talking about it. Cause like he was the one that I really think helped the uh, prosecutor because you could just tell that that man had been there from the start of the crime to the end. And even after he watched the cops murder George Floyd, he still spoke to the cop and was like, you know, I know all of you aren't bad. Like, I, and he was really trying to like be a voice of reason. And it just, I don't know. I, I don't feel like any justice will ever actually be served. Um, I'm happy Chauvin was convicted on all three charges. It was obviously the correct call. Um, I was really nervous about a hung jury. Um, mm -hmm. and I feel like a yeah. lot of people around the country weren't nervous about that. Um, but Minnesota has never prosecuted a white cop for murder before. Mm -hmm. Um, we had only prosecuted one cop for murder ever in our history. It was a black cop who murdered a white woman. Right. I, right. And I remember that. And that was absolutely a, a bad thing. And, Which was horrible. And he deserved to be it convicted. Was, yeah, yeah. But, it, but everyone, you know, kind of in the know about that or really savvy about it kind of noted the irony of that. And so this is an interesting uh, transition. Um, and I certainly was surprised by the verdict. I did not, I, I also thought it would be a hung jury, uh, but I wanted to, to back up too to what you're talking about when you're talking about the friendliness of Minneapolis. And I've certainly been there many times and seen that. And I've got really dear friends, you know, who, who live there. And I love, I love going to the Twin Cities for that very reason. It's a warm and wonderful place. And, and at the same time, you have some of the worst cops ever. And you've yeah. got, uh, and particularly your police union uh, is, is just an evil Nazi organization. I mean, yeah. they're, they're fucking fascists. Uh, they're open racists. Uh, they, you know, they have uh, the, the head of the police union has the racist insignia uh, that he wears. Um, uh, and, uh, and so my question is, how did your uprising and how did your organizing and how did the voice of the people push back against that cop hegemony that very brutal cop hegemony that has characterized minneapolis i mean i'd like to say that i feel like it's made some changes but honestly when dante wright was murdered uh the very next day the cops flew a blue line flag so I that right there in a nutshell kind of tells you that the cops really they've learned nothing they they don't see what they did as a problem many of them support Derek Chauvin many of them think it was the wrong conviction they think this just happened and this is you know perpetuated in right-wing media as well but cops all around the country seem to be outraged that someone was actually held accountable for murder like it, it's it boggles my mind because I guess I'm not a terrible person but like I don't understand how whole, if you consider yourself a good cop, shouldn't you hate bad cops more than we do? Shouldn't you want all the bad cops gone so you don't have that reputation and your reputation actually becomes to protect and serve? That's the seeming logic. And, but you know what? I have, 
maybe there have been one or two instances that have been highly hyped by the media where active duty cops have either done something to prevent brutality or have come out and said things like there might be a couple of exceptional cases i personally have and i've asked i've brought it up i brought it up when i was you know involved in uh in criminal uh, defense uh, at the uh, at the Wyoming Defender Aid Clinic. I brought it up uh, just talking to ex-cop, even ex-cops, as well as yeah. active duty cops. I've tried to find this. I've never found a cop, even a supposed good cop, who won't at least qualify or caveat their criticism of bad police. They will at least exactly. say something like, well, I can certainly understand the pressure that they're under. I wouldn't do it that In way, you know, which moment. is sort of soft liberal bullshit that is that has nothing to do like like you're Plus absolutely why they're right. saying Nobody what she is, did was an accident. Yeah. Right. And like, right. oh, it was an accidental police killing for Dante Wright. That was not an accident. A woman with 26 years of cop experience on the force, who's actually a trainer and the police union chief or president in her city. And she's married to a cop who get this, her, her husband cop, he trains people on taser use. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like, yeah. It's, you it's, can't tell me that's an absurd. accident. It's, and like, it's, and it's the media absurd. runs they with that language. You're right. They do. And it is liberal media bullshit. And it's all to soften and to make it sound like, oh, well, there's a it's like doing PR for cops. That's what we're doing here. And whenever we use that kind of language, we are doing PR for cops. There and the was a great story about this the other day. Um, uh, and I can't remember uh, if I find the site, we'll post it in our comments. But uh, but it's a great it was a great story about how for years and years, news organizations, whenever they report on crime and police matters, they just grab the police reports and they use the police reports to do the reporting. And now they're all the all these news organizations are going, hey, wait a minute, we've been doing this for years, but cops actually lie all the time and and they actually never tell the truth uh, you know which is some no, george floyd died of medical distress yeah, don't right, you know that if they had if they're if you know if 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 not for uh, obviously um you know citizen participation then that never would have happened um what are some groups though that have been standing up um for uh black lives and standing up against police um and uh, you know, and I want to, you know, one of the things that I want to say while you're, while you're finding that is that. Oh, um, I had, you knew I had a list ready to go. <laughs> uh, is that all of the instances where protesters have been accused of, of doing anything serious in terms of property damage or anything serious in terms of hurting people have almost always turned out to actually be uh, white supremacist plants and provocateurs that have been doing those things. Um, so, so, but on the other side, you know, who's, you know, who should we be looking at and who should we be supporting in the city uh, who are doing good work? So I'm first going to give a big plug to Toussaint Morrison. Um, he's an actor I've actually just known on a personal level because we work in film together for years. Um, but in the last year, he has become one of our main activists. And he has, for many years, run something called on-site public media. Um, he shoots his own videos. Some of them are funny. Most of them are serious. Um, but he's able to really explain the climate of what's happening in Minneapolis on the ground. Um, he's an incredible speaker and has been a leader in the community as well. Um, another person to watch is Georgia Fort. She's a producer and media correspondent. She does a lot of local on the ground, like anytime a new local news story, she runs out and goes, um, and I was watching her a lot through the trial as well. Um, obviously unicorn riot, which I think everybody already kind of knows about our right now. Um, and they were doing amazing work and they actually got kettled in, um, a couple weeks ago, which was right, right. crazy. What happened? Um, so in Brooklyn Center, um, so our, our lovely governor uh, who decided that he, he knew that there was going to be a lot of uprisings after Dante or after Dante Wright was murdered. And so they created something called Operation Safety Net. It basically 
is not safety. Um, they're claiming it's because of, you know, we're here to protect your first amendment rights and this is to keep the community safe and all this nonsense. What it's actually done is given cops another excuse, not like they needed one, but an excuse to actually brutalize protesters. So you know how these curfews around the country were basically just a reason for cops to become more brutal. Well, that's basically what happened with this. Um, so one night, I think it was the third night of the protests in Brooklyn Center, um, protesters were getting, you know, shot at with the tear gas and the rubber bullets and several were injured and took refuge in a local church. Um, I don't know if you saw the photo, it was everywhere on social media the next day, at least in our area, but the cops surrounded this church because the church wouldn't let them in. Uh, the church basically, they don't want to be involved. They're mm -hmm. a church and they, you know, they offer refuge to anyone who needs it. That's the point of a church. Right. And so One they were giving, hope, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And the church actually did the right thing here. So I want to, I want to give them props. Um, they sh sheltered the protesters and said the cops couldn't come in without a warrant. So the cops surrounded the church and basically barricaded these protesters inside who were injured, by the way. Um, meanwhile, they're arresting media, they're arresting medics, they're arrest, I mean, brutalizing medics. Um, it, it's absolutely disgraceful. And when you wipe out the media at a protest, the only narrative you're going to get is the cop story, which is, of course, what they want, because they want to run with their nonsense report that they were being attacked by soup cans. And <laughs> they, they are acting with complete impunity often and yeah. are, are, are illegally doing things because they know that they that the legal system cannot possibly keep up with the amount of illegal acts uh, that they um, that they perform um, and that they are not going to you're not going to to get a lot of plaintiffs because uh, people, a lot of people who they are brutalizing are living precarious lives and can't sustain uh, lawsuits and go through those processes or even going through a complaint process yep. is arduous and they know that. And so I, what I want to say about that is, um, is uh, that uh, good job um, to Keith Ellison, good job uh, to the AG for prosecution, but I'm calling on the AG uh, to uh, do something about uh, these out of control cops. And I was about to say rogue cops, but it's not the rogue cops. It's the cops. It's all of them doing it's all of them. And, and uh, they and, were trained and, to do this. They, yeah. And, and what they're doing is it's, you know, I always say cops look for the ways in which they are political, look for the ways in which they're taking a side. And in this instance, what they're doing is this, you know, this massive intimidation and massive prosecution or massive arrests and massive brutalization of protest and protesters as a way of making protests de facto illegal when it yep. is not illegal uh, and just uh, beating them all and letting the system sorted out, knowing that the system is not going to sort it out. And so I'm calling on the AG to do something about that, uh, even if it's just, uh, uh, you know, to to use the bully pulpit and just to push um, for that, uh, because no one else in your in your government, uh, you know, se seems to be doing a lot um, about uh, about that. And it's so obvious. It's just incredibly obvious that that's what's happening. And and that makes me as angry as all any of this, because it's because that is involvement in the political process. That is this, yeah. that's the, this is the cops making a political statement by, by brutalizing uh, protesters and, and, and choosing which protesters to brutalize and taking sides. Exactly. Because like, I want to say I'm consistent. I am for the first amendment across the board. Stupid people were doing those stupid mask ma protests and like, oh, my freedom and all that. And they were having their anti-mask protests at the governor's mansion. I actually put a post out there and said, I respect their right to protest. I think what they're protesting is extremely stupid and they should just go home and maybe complain on Facebook. But I respect their right to protest. They were never brutalized. They were not attacked at the governor's mansion at all. They were allowed to stand there all day, breathing COVID all over people. And that was totally fine. But when a Black Lives Matter protest comes in, then all of a sudden the cops do pick a side. And I'm not saying I want those anti-mask protesters to be brutalized. I don't. I want everyone to be treated that same way. I want everyone to be treated the way a Republican white male is treated by the cops. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. I think that's and we see it like, I mean, they, they seem to be able to arrest people like Dylan Roof. They seem to be able to arrest people and give them their day in court when they're literally shooting up buildings. Yeah. I yeah. mean, 
I, 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 absolutely, all of that, which again puts the Dante Wright uh, murder um, into light as well, um, because uh, that <laughs> there is only one reason why uh, uh, why that why that murder happened, uh, yeah. and and everyone knows that. Um, I hijacked you talking about good organizations, though. So if we want to circle back to that, I think that's actually my favorite part of the segment is when we get to talk about the good things that people are doing. Absolutely, no, and there's so much good, and that's really what I want to emphasize because I think, especially with Minis- as Minnesota's concerned, people have seen a lot of the brutality. They they kind of have seen that side of the story. But what people haven't seen is the incredible art that has come out of our city. Um, Art is healing. And we've had, um, so Amelia Brown, she's the founder of Emergency Arts. Um, And so they help like coach um, and help people like kind of transform their trauma and crisis through their creativity. So that's what um, that company does. And then there's also this other organization. um, There's actually a couple. Ah, let me find it. Um, save the boards. And so what this is all about is trying to actually preserve all the art that's come out out of the uprisings, because I mean, downtown was pretty much boarded up all summer um, after George Floyd was murdered. People did art on the boards. Art on the boards. And And not just like small things like huge gorgeous murals um and a lot of really incredible activist art so it wasn't even a lot of it is about george floyd but a lot of it was just kind of in general like just peace and justice and incredible healing that came through that and so i really am happy that my my city has found a way to use art to heal and even the local theaters have gotten involved um i know obviously we can't commune like we normally do in a theater and watch a play but several of the local theaters have put on these um like small performances that they do online and they'll just send you an email and be like click here and watch this link and almost every single performance i've watched was the black artist and it was either them telling a personal story or just black stories in general um whether they were modern whether they were older whether it was a compilation whether it was sung um, and I just want to say like through any kind of horrid, horrid event in human existence, there are always artists there to try to make something beautiful out of it. Um, and I don't mean beautiful, like, I, I mean, maybe beautiful is the wrong word, but there is something healing about art. And I think it's important that we talk about that too, because I, I feel like all we ever see is the violence um, and people think Minnesota is like a war zone right now. It's not a war zone. My community has never been closer. We have, I have never felt more comfortable talking to my neighbors than I do now. Um, and it's because we've been in the streets together. We've wandered around there. I mean, a few years ago, I used to always have a rule, like never go to a protest alone. And now like, I, I really am not worried about going alone because I know I'm going to bump into people I know. Um, it, you don't feel alone anymore. I have been trying to get up some pictures of that and I'll keep trying. Um, I, I failed miserably, uh, to everyone's, uh, everyone is worse off for what I just did. Um, but, uh, but what, ama- what, that just seems to me to be, uh, this, this amazing example of sort of the convergence of activism and, and sort of persistence and resilience and all of that and pushing back, but pushing back in kind of the most loving way and the most kind of energy uh, generating way uh, um, possible. Yeah. It's that's, and I think that's the answer, not necessarily for everything. Obviously we need other organizations that are going to do legislative differences and we need people who are staying in the streets and we need people who are comforting families. So we have other great organizations. We have Minnesota Justice Coalition, which is civil rights action through the legislative process. And that's a really important organization we have right now. Um, We also have Racial Justice Network, Families Supporting Families Against Police Violence, Communities Against Police Brutality, um, CAIR Minnesota, which is our Muslim civil rights activist group. And then we also have Cop Watch. We have um, Minnesota Immigrants Rights Action Committee, um, Native Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. I mean, all these groups come together for these protests. So it's not just one group and DSA, of course. Um, but it's just like all these groups are coming together because it's not just about the one person. Like, yes, it's great that Chauvin got convicted. That's wonderful. He's one cop and this entire racist system. And all the cops, they did something weird that they never normally do. They all kind of threw him out to dry, right? They all were 
um, mm-hmm. sitting there testifying against him. I mean, our chief, our police chief, Chief Arredondo, testified against him, which never happens in these police cases. I mean, which I, is great. I but- am subscribing to the most cynical view of that, Same. which is that <laughs> cops are so invested in in maintaining their yes. status quo that they are willing to sacrifice other cops. Uh, That's exactly it. (laughs) In order to do it, in order to do it. So here's an example of some of this art that you're talking about. And this is just, I mean, this is just really amazing. Yeah. And it's like that all over the city. I mean, and it's like anywhere you go in um, South Minneapolis, especially close to George Floyd Square, um, which I do want to say real quick, George George Floyd Square, it's on the corner of uh, 38th and Chicago, but it's... um, it's become like a community gathering place and the city keeps trying to take it back. So there's been barricades and people kind of there keeping watch since May 25th of last year when George Floyd was murdered. It is, I think the longest running autonomous zone I, I, in us history. I'm not sure on that. Someone can totally fact check me, but I tried to look it up and I didn't see anything remotely close to as long as how, how long Minneapolis has held this space. It's not a big space, but we have a monument erected. There's art all over. There's people keep candles and flowers. People meet there before going for a march. I mean, it has become a space for the community. Um, And so right now in our local politics, that's becoming like kind of a huge um, point of contention because obviously our cities, well, some people in the city really want it back. Um, And the people who mostly are saying, you know, oh, well, we need the street to be able to drive through and all this. The people complaining do not live in that area. I want to just say that full stop. The people who live there don't care about moving one block on when they're driving. They don't care. Um, That space is sacred. And 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 businesses (laughs) do not aren't, you know, necessarily reacting the way that the right is representing them or trying to represent their interests either uh, in, ter- in terms of the dynamic of these uh, uprisings and, and organized protests. They're not, they're not like, I mean, I'm sure they would like, you know, it, there would still be walkable space. I mean, people can still get to their business. The businesses downtown, I mean, some have left and I don't want to, I don't want to like misrepresent anything. Um, but the majority of the businesses have been putting Black Lives Matter signs on their doors and support what's happening. They understand why it's happening. They understand what the uprising is about and they're picking the right side. And of course, like, you know, people want to say, oh, the businesses and oh, we're losing this. People are actually investing more in small businesses. I mean, especially during the pandemic, I know I've tried to avoid Amazon. Um, I've been trying to only go through mom and pop shops, which Mm -hmm, sometimes mm -hmm. do cost a little bit more, but it's worth it. I'd rather know my money's helping some kid go to dance class than going to Bezos. Like, sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, George Floyd Square, it had, and so I just want to mention like why it's so important. They're not even just doing, um, it's not even protests about police brutality all the time. They had an earth day event. They had a May day event. Like that's just, it's a community space now. And so what's happening in our local elections um, because Minnesota does our election or Minneapolis, sorry, uh, we do our elections in the off year. So we're actually voting for a new mayor and new city council this year, mm, which, okay. yeah, which is very interesting. And we have a lot of interest. Um, we actually had over 10,000 people sign up to caucus. We're a caucus state. Um, and that's like thousands more than normally participate. So yeah, this is for a big municipal year. politics, even in a, you know, even in a big urban you know, area, that's still quite a lot of people signing up to caucus. It's amazing. Um, I'm very, very excited about that. We recently did a mayor forum. We had uh, six candidates speaking. Um, so if you wanted, if you are interested in that, I would recommend going to the Minneapolis DFL website. Um, I was one of the people hosting that event and were, we spoke to all six candidates about a variety of topics. Um, I'm not going to speak on who I personally. Oh, I was just going to ask you, damn it. I, there's two I really like. Um, I will say that um, I am the vice chair for Minneapolis DFL. So right. I don't so really want to publicly yeah, state anything it. about just in case the other one gets the endorsement. And mm-hmm. and honestly, there are there are two that I really, really like. Um, there's a couple others that, you know, they got some good stuff going, but I don't really know how they'd be 
as far as like the full encompassing job of mayor. Do you feel um, like the Overton window has opened up though, and that there is more progressivism in the race? Uh, and oh yeah, uh, and a, a better like set of people you could live with, uh, as opposed to or or you know in contrast to to previous uh, elections. Everyone's further left than our current mayor. Um, so that well, one of them I'm not really quite sure actually. His answers were a little tough to read, but he. I still think I probably would trust him more than our current mayor. But if you're um, not reading the room and if you're not reading the city and the the winds of, of the political winds, then you're not gonna you're not gonna win anyway. No, and I want to actually mention our current mayor um, because he said something. So I we remember when um, Nancy Pelosi made that like horrific statement about yeah. um, George Floyd died for your sins, basically. George Floyd, yeah. George Floyd sat her all and it was, uh, thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. That nonsense that came out of, first of all, why did she talk? Yeah. It, it's so easy to just not say anything. No one was looking for a statement from Nancy Pelosi on this. No one cared about her specific opinion on it. No one asked her. She actually thought it was a good idea to get up there and say that. And no one in her team stopped her. No one That's, in her team was like, hey girl, maybe don't do that. Every like, time hey, something like, like this happens, I always go, whose job was it to make to sure that, no. that didn't happen? And whoever that is, they messed up. Like total, I mean, so that was honestly just awful. But what makes it worse is our own mayor said something very similar. So not only is he far younger than Nancy Pelosi and he actually is the mayor of our city. He's supposed to represent us. His direct quote, I feel like this is important. George Floyd came to Minneapolis to better his life, but ultimately his death will better our city. Throw a can That's of tuna and shove it up his face. Yeah. I cannot believe that, that I'm, Auntie Fa has been holding her powder dry for a while now. But I've got several cans of soup that I want to throw at this argument. And I... But there was so much sadism involved in this because when you see Chalvin do that for nine minutes, he was a freaking he was nothing but a sadist, and he enjoyed. You could tell doing that. He did. You could, and it was and disgusting. He, nobody could look horrifying. at that and look at his face uh, during that and know and not know that there was massive serotonin. Uh, massive testosterone, just like know, pumping through like him, like massive shit pumping through him uh, in, that, in that, and and so and and so to to sort of solemnize that, right? Uh, to kind of turn it into this redemptive teleology uh, for the forgive the the philosophical terms, uh, you know, to 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 turn that into this sort of divine purpose. Um, that to me is what is it misses the boat. It absolutely misses the boat. That's the 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 least bad thing you could say uh, about it. And I'm sure that this is that this caused a lot of political fallout for the mayor. Oh, totally. Um, it's no secret I'm not a big fan of the mayor. I, once again, because I'm I'm impartial, right? I'm impartial during this um, process. <laughs> but I, I do want to at least bring up our city is not happy with him. Um, what I am worried about, though, because we are doing ranked choice voting. Uh, for this endorsement, um, I'm worried that the two candidates that I really like are going to split a vote and we're going to mm -hmm. end up with him again. Mm -hmm. And that's something I do worry about. Um, I, I, I very sincerely hope one of them drops and supports the other. And I, I do feel like that would actually make a huge difference. Um, but obviously, I know that that's probably not going to happen. People who get involved in politics do it for a reason. And they do feel like they have a unique voice. And I don't want to tell someone to drop out. But I, it's just a worry I have because I'm a pessimist in this current climate. Um, and we need to get rid of our current mayor. Uh, we just do. He is not reading the room. He is He's kind of like a Pete Buttigieg type. Like, he reminds me of, like, that, like, neoliberal, like... Mm -hmm he says all the right things, but in that way where you're like, mm, is that the right thing to say? Are, do you, is that really how you feel? Like he just reminds me of that kind of smarmy, like he's too much of a politician and you can see his ambition from a mile away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I want, I, I would like a new mayor. And I do think that our city deserves one. Um, our city council also though, um, they initially did vote to defund the police and then backtracked pretty quickly. Um, yeah, what's up with that? 
uh, they really just, we didn't have enough of them in there that really were going to fight for it. Um, we do have a couple in there that are fighting for it. And I do want to say that we do have a couple current city council members that I really want to keep. Um, but there's a few that I would really like replaced <laughs> and we've been doing those. And there's actually been more interest in that than normal too. This year, uh, we have a lot of people running, especially in a couple specific districts. There's several people running for these seats. Um, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully we're able to make a dent in that. Um, and the reason I want to say it's systemic is because I actually, so I actually want to share a quick story, um, about one of the cops. So we've Please. been talking a lot about, uh, Derek Chauvin, obviously, cause he's and Kimberly Porter. Um, but there were three other cops there when George Floyd was murdered. And I'm really worried that now that Chauvin was convicted, people are like, not really thinking about those other three cops who, in my opinion, are just as guilty. Um, they might not have had the knee on the neck, but two of the other cops still had their knee on his back and his leg. It's not like they were like gone. Mm -hmm. And the one that wasn't on George Floyd at all, Tao Thao. I want to just share a quick personal story because I was mugged a few years ago in Minneapolis and I called the cops because I am a blue eyed white woman. And I've always been told that the cops are there to help me. Sure. And so I called the cops. That was actually, I think the only time in my life I've called the cops and they came very quickly. Tao Thao was actually the cop that came to help me. He was so nice to me. So nice, of course, which is what I've come to expect as a blue-eyed white woman. And this cop helped me out. He took my statement. He actually went and even found my bag. Um, I, I mean, they, I lost the money, of course, that was in there. But the, the guy who burgled me, by the way, he didn't even take my euro. I had a $50 like euro in there. And I'm like, that's like worth way more. <laughs> like, I would have taken that. But, um, you know, not if only we had more cosmopolitan muggers. Right. Um, but he like, so, <laughs> so I get mugged. Um, he gets my, I, I just, you know, gave my bag up immediately. I'm not trying to fight over anything in there. Um, and they didn't end up catching the guy, but I got my stuff back. So that's how I was remembered my one instance with my interaction with a Minneapolis PD. And then we flash forward. And like many people, I, um, I watched the video of George Floyd being murdered and I went, hold on. I know that guy. Why did he treat my life as important, but not this other person's life? And why is he treating the people he is all, I mean, I don't want to necessarily even talk so much about George in this instance, because he wasn't one of the cops on top of George, but mm -hmm. the way he was interacting with the people who were on looking. No, that's a very big part of the picture. That's, I mean, that's a very important it, part of what happened. It is. And so the way he was treating them and the onlookers and the violence and the anger in his eye, he treated them completely differently than the way he treated me. And that's why I know that there's no such thing as a good cop. And that's actually what ruined my even thinking, okay, well, you know, some people are good cops, but you know, they're not all bad. No, they are because in the, at the end of the day, they are all there to uphold the same system. They are all there to protect each other. That blue wall of silence is real and they don't care. And only gets broken when they have to sacrifice someone yeah. in order to be able to continue their regular balance of power, right? That's a calculation. That's a calculated decision. Um, and I think it's so important when you think about the entire scenario, just as we talked about earlier about the, the sort of militant love that the people surrounding the scene um, were, were showing in trying to stop what was happening, it's also important to understand what the cops were doing including your your friend, uh, um, what they were doing in terms of keeping people back, in terms of crowd control, that dynamic, let us do our job. Our job is to kill this guy. You need to let us do that. I mean, that's, you know, that to me, that that uh, augments that that sense of the political of what's going on and the way in which, you know, the, the different roles that different people were playing during that time i think it's i think that that whole scene and that whole nine minutes and the and what preceded it is a scene in american life that is going to be that we will never forget uh and hopefully will be uh you know a a um uh uh a fire that lights in people um but you have to understand that whole scene what the people were doing uh, what Chauvin was doing, 
what the cops who were directly assisting by holding George Floyd's body down were doing, and then also what the cops were doing by getting, by basically trying to control that crowd. It's all part of the same mosaic. It was, well, and they were all on the same page. He was very casually mocking uh, George Floyd while this was happening. He's like, see kids, this is what happens when you do drugs. And I mean, like being a jackass to the, to the crowd. And then also he directly intervening when it came to the firefighter that wanted to help. It's like, if you really were a firefighter, you would just let us do our job and murder this guy. Like that's exactly the difference. Like the skin tone changed and therefore so did his reaction to the people. And I mean, I don't want to say like necessarily had I personally been there that day, he would have been nicer to me because the a firefighter was also a white woman. So I think it also is situational. Yeah, it's all about the context. It's all about context to too. At that time. But they that. were protecting the thin blue line at that time. Uh, whereas in my situation, he was protecting me. Um, and, and their image, you know, we're, we, we will help you out. You are the image of, of the type of person um, that we should I was be blonde then out. too, yeah. so... I was going to, I was going to ask, you know, because like, you know, slightly less deviant looking um, than, you know, because you look really threatening right now to be You're threatening. I'm five foot two. I'm terrifying. Yeah. I know. Um, I, I mean, I, and, I, and I've, even had, bad ex- yeah. <laughs> and I've even had bad experiences with cops. I got pulled over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been pulled over several times. One time right in front of my own apartment late at night because I had a taillight out and I was like, I didn't even know. I was just coming back from work. I was crabby. I was pretty rude to the cop, honestly. It was pretty close after, not this year, it was a couple of years ago, it was another murder. And I was just, I looked at this cop and I'm like, look, I live right there. I'm just trying to go home. I don't care about my headlight. You're not writing me a ticket. I'm going home. Mm-hmm. Apparently you're not supposed to walk away from cops. But, that's, <laughs> but I did. But, but, but that in itself is telling. I didn't get shot. You were able to do that, yeah. Yes. I mean, he did end up calling other cops. He called backup. I'm five foot two. He called backup. There ended up being four cops there. One of them, an older cop who just told me, he's like, you're a brat. He's like, stop being such a little brat. And I'm like, wow, you're infantilizing me. I'm a 30 year old woman. Like, and that's what cops do because I'm a white female. Therefore I'm young and need to be protected. Whereas a black woman who is 16 years old gets murdered by the police Mm -hmm. because, and they're calling her, you know, a a, a woman. Yeah. That's a threat. threat. And that's a a woman. woman. And that, yeah, exactly. So all of this is, is, uh, um, that, you know, Minneapolis has become this sort of picture of the American struggle, uh, against police violence and, uh, also the sort of beacon of hope and also the sort of, of, example of some of the worst police and all of these things are going on but uh what you you know what what you one thing that you've been talking about today is just the kind of beauty and energy and po- positive political energy and positive community energy um that's been coming out of this and that's what i hope that people will will really keep in mind and remember and focus on as they think about all of this i do too i want minnesota to be synonymous not only i, I want us to be remembered for moving this movement forward. I don't want people to just think of Minneapolis as like, oh, that was awful, and then move on. I want us to actually not just be the place that something awful happened, but I want us to be the beginning of the change of policing in the entire country. I want Minnesota to be at the forefront of it. I want us to change. I want us to defund and abolish the system we have currently, and we need to just completely redo it. And hopefully that once we figure out a new system for public safety, the rest of the country follows suit. Because at the end of the day, police are supposed to serve and protect the communities. That's what they're there for. However, police are actually in what we see a militarized domestic force that are there to protect property, serve the interests of the state, and then uphold the traditions of entrenched white supremacy. So they aren't doing the job that they're supposed to do. And I think part of the reason is because cops in Minnesota, at least, don't have to live in the city that they police. I know in some places around the country, there is actually rules put in place. And those rules need to exist Mm -hmm. because only 7% of Minneapolis cops live in Minneapolis. 7%. That's like less than 100 of our cops. So why why would we think those people are there to serve and protect our community? They're not. They're there to serve and protect the community they live in from us. 
that's what they're doing by so disciplining need- by by you know being this to me being a political force and yes the fact that they take the sides that they do and the fact that they take the positions that they do and the fact that they if you ever want to argue with someone about you know the the whole um uh good cop bad cop or the whole thing about what reform kind of what reform is possible without radically defunding and radically restructuring everything um just ask what name one limitation on the use of force name one limitation on police behavior that anyone speaking for the police does support Name one limit that the unions do support. Name one limit. Uh, and people will be like, well, you know, Chauvin was found guilty. Uh, you know, obviously, and it's like, no, I'm not talking about after the fact. I'm talking about name a prior restraint that any police organization or police spokesperson supports for the police. They, you never can, uh, you know, which me, the reductio ad absurdum of this is, you know, it, it, in the end, they don't they want a world where there are no limits uh, whatsoever and if we can occasionally prosecute a few uh, of the worst examples then they w- they think they win they think they can win that way and uh, and to be honest with you i think that too many people including on our side politically uh, are 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 sleeping on this because of the guilty verdict they are and i mean that was kind of the worry um, that seeing one cop held accountable is somehow justice and somehow fixes. We didn't solve systemic racism in one verdict. That's absolutely absurd. This was, we shouldn't even be happy about this verdict. This is what should be the norm. Holding cops accountable for murder should be the norm. This should not be, oh my gosh, I can't believe it finally happened. Like, yes, I'm happy, but like, we need real change. We need actual legislative change. We need to get rid of qualified immunity for starters. I mean, bare minimum, mm-hmm. bare minimum. And do you know that in Minnesota, they actually tried to pass something where cops couldn't be affiliated with white supremacy groups. It was shot down because we have a Senate, a Republican led mm-hmm. Senate. So while we have a democratic governor and a democratic house, we have you a, have a terrible Senate. Senate. You have some oh, terrible, terrible people in your state. We government. still have slavery. illegal. by rivaled only by uh, the complete uh, lunkheads uh, that run our legislature. Oh, I'm sure. Like, okay, so uh, slavery is still legal in Minnesota, obviously illegal nationally, but they can't get it removed from our state charter and state constitution because of our Republican Senate. Mm-hmm. This should be a bipartisan no-brainer. Oh, also, um, uh, conversion therapy, it's illegal in pretty much every state. Minnesota's still holding on. I mean, they haven't been practicing it, but it's still legal. We can't get rid of it because of our republic. It's it's sickening. I just I just think of some Republican in Minnesota going, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, everybody deserves a chance, you know. That's probably it. I, I just hear them more like, oh, we're going to own the libs and just not do it anyway. That, that too. That too. No, I mean, I, that's, it's such a study in contrasts and, and uh, uh, all of that said, it's incredibly inspiring to, to see uh, all of the good that has come out of this adversity. That is not a celebration of the cause of that adversity. That is uh, the fact that there's good people doing good work in spite of the shit that they have to deal with every single day. Um, And if that, you know, if that pushes people to do things, then I, you know, then I guess we, you know, we'll take it. Um, But it really is inspiring. Those are the heroes, uh, you know, the the real heroes that are coming out of that. And, and I really appreciate the fact that you had this really good list of some of the best individuals and organizations uh, doing that work. And obviously there are countless others. um, And so we're just going to have to have you keep coming back to tell us more about what's, what's, uh, what's going on there uh, in the cities. Yeah, I would love to. And I'm really, thank you for letting me talk about this. I have had so much to say for a while. Um, And I really do want to just stress how our community came together and everyone, people do keep showing up. And that's something that a lot of the activists keep repeating at rallies, like keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up. And they're right. We just need to keep showing up because eventually more and more people are going to join. And eventually we won't be silenced anymore we will be heard we are going to make change and 
as awful as this last year has been, I do have that little bit of hope. It's like, I don't want to get all Greek mythology on you with like, you know, a little hope with her wings at the bottom of the box and everything. But there is that hope still there that we're going to be able to create a better future out of this. And I, I still have that hope. And I, I hope that uh, <laughs> I've just said hope too many times. <laughs> That's okay. And you have joy on it too. Like you're happy to see that even in the midst of everything else. And so um, I, I, I can't thank you enough. It's always great to find any reason uh, to have you come back on the live stream and the podcast. And we, uh, um, we just are, are, are very appreciative of it. So Brianna Rose Lee, thank you very much. Um, thank you. Please support us if you, uh, if you like what we do and want to uh, help us keep making it available to everyone for free. Uh, please support us at patreon.com slash solidarity house. Uh, and you can also get uh, some free kind of premium content and that kind of stuff. But really, you're doing it because you believe in what we're doing and you know that there's no place like us uh, here in the Rocky Mountain region. And so uh, we love you all. Thanks again, Brianna. Thanks, Auntie Fa. Uh, and we'll catch you on the flip side. I always have a can of tuna for you. 